welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. five weeks at Follow Baptist Church, we're going to be doing a DNA series. It's a chance to look at essential things for us as a church and what is most important. Each week we're going to look at a different core value, we're going to unpack that, and we hope and pray that you're inspired by who God's called us to be and what He wants us to do. God's church consists of people who have been redeemed and united through the cross. This unity should be expressed in fellowship. We want to be a church that deeply loves one another as an expression of the unconditional love Christ has shown to us. We believe that genuine life change happens most powerfully when in community. As Bill Hybels says, there once was a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In that band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took off their masks and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sung and serve together in authentic Christian fellowship. Our heart's desire is to, with God's help, love each other that way. This part of our DNA is a priority because, as Jesus said, it is our love for one another that will powerfully demonstrate our discipleship. Fellowship will shape our events, our programs, and our vision. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Well, I really love what Wayne said a moment ago about looking out over a congregation and seeing a group of people who are like family. And I look out here today and you're a very good looking bunch of people, um, but I, I see a group of people that I love dearly and hope to journey with for many years to come. But the truth is, about seven months ago, there's many faces out there today that I'd never met before, that I never knew. And uh, we've come together um, in these last seven months, and we've started on a journey of relationship. But the truth is that we haven't come together because of our allegiance to a footy team. Uh, I think you should all barrack for St Kilda. Some of you have chosen not to. I've forgiven you, and we're moving on. Uh, we haven't come together because of a political party that we all vote for. We haven't come together because of a common hobby or because of similar personalities or because we ran into each, each other somewhere. The reason we've come together is because of one person, that person is Jesus Christ. Uh, we call this fellowship and I think it's about time that we redeem that word because I think over the last couple of decades... Fellowship has been whittled down to uh, a lukewarm cup of tea or coffee after a service and a stale biscuit. Now, we don't do that at Follow. We've got great coffee and uh, we've got nice food. But uh, fellowship has kind of been whittled down to this sort of superficial 15-minute-a-week kind of thing. But I want to tell you that I think that fellowship is something so much more powerful than that. And if we start to experience fellowship as described in the Word of God, it will actually have the potential to be life-changing. Our vision at Follow is profoundly simple. It's been mentioned today already, but our um, vision, even though it's simple, is even more powerful, and it's one word. What's our vision? Excellent. One person knows it. Now, the rest of you know it as well. Our vision is Jesus, Um, and today we, we look to him, 
And we look to him. That's why he's our vision. We look to him for, for everything that we are and for everything that we do. Uh, we want him to be at the center of everything we are as a church. And so today we are in week three of a DNA series where we're exploring the, the key focuses for us as a church, the things that, that are of most importance. And so over a five week period, as you saw in the video, we are looking at the five key focuses of our church. So far we've, we've looked at Bible teaching and training. And then last week, we looked at discipleship and leadership development. And as has already been mentioned today, we are looking at the aspect of fellowship. But it's so important to remember that whatever key focus we hone in on, whatever week it it tends to be, it will only ever be effective if it's centered on Christ and that he remains our vision within that area of our lives. And so today, um, with fellowship, as we look at that, it's important to remember that because I've seen in church life that the moment we take our eyes off Jesus, the moment he stops being our vision is the moment that things start to fall apart in the life of the church. And so we've got to keep looking to him. He's our vision as we look at his life, his death, his resurrection, and all that means for us individually, but also as a church, we have the opportunity to experience life-changing fellowship. Because when we look to Jesus, we find grace, don't we? we? We do, yeah, right? Yes, great. We find forgiveness, don't we? We find mercy, compassion, love, acceptance. That is what Jesus pours into our life. And then as we pour into each other's lives, we start to experience fellowship as it should be. What I want to get across this morning is really this, that that Jesus is the one who not only brings us together by being at the center, but he's the one who keeps us together by being at the center. Because the truth is, when you get a whole lot of personalities and people together, there's going to be times where you need a lot of grace, a lot of patience, a lot of forgiveness. In our own strength, we won't give those things. And so we're going to look to Jesus, rely on the Holy Spirit to fill us and to help us be these kinds of people. Last week, we talked about the countercultural nature of church leadership, that instead of looking at position and power, it's categorized by sacrifice and service. As we look at fellowship today, we'll also see that it has a countercultural um, thing to it as well, and it's also characterized by sacrifice and service as we love one another sacrificially. The thing about community is that we often treat community like we're the most important person in it, right? I'm the most important person. That's the way we often treat community. So when the local council is looking to establish a, a new community in the local area, they will survey potential residents. And they'll ask them all sorts of questions. What do you want in your community? What would you like the culture to be? What would you like to look like? What shops do you need? What services do you want? And they're all good questions to ask, right? Because if you're going to start a community, you want to build something where people actually want to live. And so they're good questions to ask. But there's one question that's often neglected in those surveys, and that is, how can you contribute to your community? And it's such an important question. And I think that question is the same question that we often neglect to ask ourselves when it comes to church community. You see, the mindset of the world can easily creep into the mindset of the church, and instead of having a fellowship based on the Bible, centered on Christ, we tend to want a consumerist kind of fellowship that centers on ourselves, what we want, what we like, what we need. And so you always talk to people and you hear about what they want in church. They want a particular style of music and they want songs they know and they want preaching a certain style and they want um, things to be catered for, for them and for their family. And, and, and in and of themselves, those things are, are not wrong. 
But so often we have a checklist of so many things that we want and need from a church. And if we don't tick off every box on the checklist, then we won't grace that church with the privilege of our own presence, right? And so uh, it's very important that we remember that fellowship is always centered on Christ, not our own comfort. Genuine Christian community will never have self at the center because it will always have Christ at the center. And so you and I will never be the most important person in this community according to ourselves. And Jesus says it this way. He says the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God, number one, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And he says the second command is like it. He says love your neighbor as you love yourself. A few weeks ago, Dave Young preached on joy in our Fruits of the Spirit series, and he used joy as an acronym. And he said, uh, if you love people in this, this order, it'll be a way of finding true joy. And he said, first of all, uh, J is for Jesus. We love Jesus first. Uh, o is for others. We love others second. And Y is for yourself. You love yourself third. And it's kind of countercultural, isn't it? Because the world would say, love yourself first. Uh, then if you, if you can, you know, muster up a bit more love, love others. And then don't worry about God. He's not even relevant anymore. So, so that's the way that they will try and find true joy. But when you look at the world around you, you'll see clearly that so many people aren't finding the joy they look for. And we know in Christianity that joy is found when we love Jesus and when we care for others and when we also love ourselves in that order. It's countercultural, but it's scriptural. And so you and I will never be the most important person in this community because it will always be Jesus. Now, a few years ago, I read in the dictionary a definition of fellowship that I've never forgotten. Are you ready for this? The definition I read was that fellowship is social intercourse. Now it sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? You know, like when we think of intercourse, we don't usually think of it in a social setting. We think of it in a sexual setting. So I'm not going to ring up a friend this week and say, hey, guess what? The footy started again. Come over tonight. We'll watch the footy and we'll have some social intercourse. I mean, it's a good way to lose friends really quick, right? We just don't talk like that. Um, But bear with me because I think uh, the language and the analogy is actually quite helpful in some ways. And so I want you to think about uh, sex for a moment. Not many people ask you to do that in church, do they? Uh, Think about it in a holy way, okay? Uh, If you're not married yet, don't think about it at all. But if you are, think about it in a holy way. And when you think about um, sexual intercourse, you'll understand that it's the closest physical connection you can have with another human being, right? It's completely connected together. Uh, I mean, when it happens, you're you're usually naked. There's nothing hidden. I mean, you can hide stuff when you've got clothes on, but when you're naked, everything's bare before that other person. You're laying yourself bare down before another person. And we know as Christians that it's a wonderful gift that God has given us. And he's given it to us to be used within the context of marriage. And when we use it that way, uh, it's an incredible thing. And it's a way of, of giving our whole self to another person for life. That every part of me is yours and every part of you is, is, me, is mine. And when used in that way, gifts as a gift, it can bring great blessing and it can enrich and strengthen your marriage relationship. Now, when used outside of that context, it goes without saying, you watch the news tonight, you will see that it causes a lot of destruction, a lot of hurt, a lot of heartbreak. But when used within the context of marriage, it is a wonderful gift given by God, and it's the closest physical connection that we can have with another human being. Now, in a similar way, fellowship is a wonderful gift given from God. It's a wonderful gift given to each of us in a community like this. And in the same way, it should be an intimate relationship. 
um, with other people. And it should be the closest and I think the strongest social, spiritual and relational relationship we can have with people. And in the same way, fellowship should be a place where we're completely transparent where we can lay ourselves before one another, where nothing is hidden. It's a safe place to be honest with one another, to care for one another, to love one another, to be completely accountable, to be able to come with brothers and sisters and admit our struggles, that we don't have it all together, to carry one another's burdens and to repent when we fall short. Now, of course, all this will only ever work if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need his help to be changed from the inside out and to love people in a community like this. Now, when we look at our passage today and many other passages in the New Testament, we get an idea of what Christ-centered fellowship should look like. And when it does reflect Jesus, it will be something that is absolutely dynamic. It'll be something life-changing. It'll be something that is attractive. If we are living out what this passage teaches today, people won't look at the church and go, man, that looks boring. Man, that's irrelevant. I don't want anything to do with that bunch of people. If we're living out fellowship as scripture teaches, people will look at us and go, wow, there's something different about these people. They've got a joy that I don't understand. That's a group of people that I want to get to know. I want to be like, and we hope and pray that when people look at fellowship working well, that they will see a glimpse of who Jesus is. In Romans 15, we see some of the things that we should experience in Christ-centered fellowship. And I want to focus in on three things today. Number one, that when you're in a fellowship like this, you should expect that we're caring for one another. Second of all, that we build one another. And thirdly, thirdly, that we accept one another. And so let me start by talking about the first one, that in Christ-centered fellowship, we should be a bunch of people who care for one another sacrificially. Now, so often we fall short of this, don't we? We don't kind of care for one another like we should, And I think one of the main reasons is that we're constantly trying to please ourselves. And sometimes I think subconsciously we we kind of think, well, if I spend too much time caring for others, then I might miss out on being cared for myself. Now, I want you to apply a bit of logic to it today. If you are a person who is living in fellowship and you are caring for others, your mission is to love Jesus and to care for others, and you're surrounded by a group of people who are doing the same thing, they're loving Jesus and they're caring for others. Then logic will tell you it's only going to be a certain amount of time until the others you're caring for will include them. And the others they're caring for will include you. And so when fellowship is working well, what goes around comes around in a really beautiful way as we care for one another. Here at church, we have a pastoral care team and we meet fortnightly. And we talk about what's going on in the life of the church and, and people that may be struggling or need some extra support. And that's a wonderful thing to do. We, we do the very best we can to care for people and to carry their burdens. But the truth is, if fellowship is working really well, then caring is not just the job of a pastoral care team. It's actually the job of every single one of us. And when all of us take that upon ourselves, this kind of community will be life-changing as we journey with one another. In Romans chapter 15, verse 1, this is how the passage starts. It says, we who are strong. Now, in the Greek, that means powerful or capable. Then it says, we ought to bear with the failings of the weak, which in Greek means those without strength, impotent, powerless, disabled. And then it says, and not to please ourselves. Now, the word bear with, bear, sounds a bit apathetic, doesn't it? I guess I could just bear with that person. I'll, I'll grin and bear it. I'll tolerate them. But once again, in the Greek, that word is so much deeper than that. 
When it says the strong should bear with the weak, what that word bear means is actually to bend down, to put your shoulder underneath and to help lift up, to bear up, to help carry the burden of people you're in fellowship with. Now, a moment ago I said the word weak means to be powerless, it means to be without strength, impotent, disabled. Now the question is how often do each of us feel that way? There's many times in life where we feel like these circumstances are just so hard to take. They're, they're overwhelming. I feel like I'm sinking under the pressure and the weight of what's going on in life right now and I don't know how much longer I can do this alone. But what Paul is saying in this passage is that when it comes to fellowship, you don't have to do it alone because we're called to carry it together. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want to put in a little disclaimer here. Because I've spoken to lots of people over the years who are going through a tough time in life. And they go through this thing alone. And then they go, you know what? The church did nothing to help. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes the church just falls short of what it should be. And we don't do it. But a lot of the time, what I've found is that people in the church just didn't know what you were going through. And so it's so important that when you're journeying with people, that you let them know what you're going through. And we want to be spirit-led leaders here at Follow Baptist, right? We want to be people who are led by the Spirit, that He guides us and leads us in all that we do. But we don't sit down on a Monday morning and get an instant download from heaven. Don't sit at the desk and say, now God, what are people going through? And then all of a sudden, a few seconds later, the download happens and Betty's got a broken fingernail and Jack got the sack and Fred's feeling flat this week and Jane's lonely and Frank wants a girlfriend. Great, well, I'll pick up the phone now and I'll make all those phone calls. The truth is we need to know from you what you're going through. So if you're going through a difficult time now or at any stage in life, tell someone, pick up the phone, send an email, let us know. And if we know what you're going through, we'll do our very best to help carry the burden. Can't guarantee we'll solve all the issues you're going through, but we'll we'll try our very best to help carry that burden and at least make it lighter for you. A few years ago, I was uh, at another church pastoring and there was a young couple at the church who had been attending for quite a while. They'd been married for a few years and and they found out that they were pregnant. Well, she was pregnant. And um, she was one of those girls that from the time she was born, all she wanted to do was have a baby. And so she was absolutely thrilled. She was stoked about what had happened and she was looking forward to having a child. But tragically, a fair way into the pregnancy, she had a miscarriage and the baby passed away. Uh, She was absolutely heartbroken. She fell into a really deep depression And it got so bad that she was admitted to a mental uh, psychiatric facility. It was awful. Awful for the husband, awful for her extended family, awful for her friends. Eventually, months later, she was discharged, uh, even though life for her was still a real struggle. Uh, But life goes on, and a year later, once again, the husband and wife found out that they were pregnant. After several checks, it seemed that the pregnancy was normal and the baby was deemed to be growing in a healthy way. And so they were really excited about what was to come. But at 15 weeks, um, after a routine blood check, the mother found out that there were some abnormalities with her blood sample. And so she went back and had some further tests and it was revealed that this mother was battling leukaemia. And so she was given two options. Uh, option number one, was what the recommended one from the doctors, was to abort the baby immediately and to uh, then immediately have treatment. And if she was to do that, that was her best chance of beating leukaemia. The second option was to uh, to hold off on that 
and get the baby to an age where uh, it could be born prematurely and would have some chance of survival and once the birth took place to then start the treatment. Now she uh, obviously loved this baby who was already a life living inside her and she made the decision to uh, delay treatment for herself and to give birth to this little baby. And the baby was born. It was a wonderful thing. A tiny little baby could almost fit in your hand. And um, But it was touch and go. The doctors kept saying, you know, one day it doesn't look good. The next day, well, it's a bit better. And that went on for a few weeks until it got to the point where the doctors said that the baby had come through the danger period. Um, she started having treatment. And so they were very optimistic about uh, the future and, and maybe getting better and seeing this baby grow up. And it was an exciting time for all of us. Unfortunately, though, out of the blue, uh, this little baby, uh, the heart failed and the little one passed away. And if she was heartbroken the first time, her heart was completely shattered this time. It was a devastating blow. Six months later, she passed away with leukemia, leaving her husband, no wife and no son. Sometimes we just don't understand why these things happen, do we? You know, particularly to people that we would see as faithful, people who love God, people who care for others, people who are following Jesus with all their heart. All I can put it down to is the fact that we live in part of a broken world, a broken and fallen world, where bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, and that's the way it's going to be until Jesus returns. But the hope that we have is that when he returns, it will no longer be like that, that all things will be restored and we will live with him with no pain, no suffering, no evil, no death. And that will be a wonderful thing. And that's what we bank eternity on, isn't it? We don't bank it on money or houses or cars. We bank it on Jesus and the hope that we have in him. And that's a wonderful thing. But one thing I noticed in this whole situation is the incredible strength of the husband through the whole thing. We had him over for dinner one night. And in the midst of such deep and painful tragedy, what I noticed in his life is that his faith in God never once wavered. One night over dinner, I asked him the question. I said, I don't know how you're doing this. How are you getting through? Uh, If it was me, I I feel like I'd be really just broken and falling apart right now. And yet you seem so strong. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, God's got me through this. He's my strength. He's my rock. He's the one I turn to. But to be honest, I don't think I ever would have got through this without fellowship. I have a group of people around me who have helped to carry this burden in prayer and support in every way. And I'm so grateful for the fellowship I'm in. Now, some of you may or may not be aware, but on the 29th of March this year, my wife is going in for major surgery. She's having open heart surgery. And they're going to open her chest up and they're going to go in and they're going to replace her pulmonary valve. And so for us as a family, it's a, you know, a stressful time in lots of ways. Lots of things have to happen and um, any sort of heart surgery is, is fairly high risk and um, there's a lot of pressure. But we take so much peace from God's promises and from his presence. We know his promises that he'll work all things together for good, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Um, we know that he's our ever-present help in time of need. And we know that whatever happens in this circumstance, that God will, will still be God. God will still be good. God will still be worth following with all of our lives. But we also know and appreciate deeply that God has placed us in a fellowship such as this with a group of people who will help carry this burden in prayer and in many practical ways. And that's one of the things that is so powerful about fellowship. This is why it's so life-changing. 
And one of the things that we can expect that when we're in a fellowship like this, that we'll actually care for one another in the little things, uh, in the big things. And that's a great thing about being in fellowship. The second thing about fellowship that I think is really powerful is that we not only care for each other, but our job is to build one another. Now, verse 2 says, Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. Now, I'm a builder or a carpenter by trade. And so I did that for about a decade before I went into full-time ministry and did a lot of work on building sites. Uh, We mainly did extensions, but we did quite a few new homes as well. And I'll never forget when you rock up to a block of land before there's anything there, it's just grass and weeds and all that sort of stuff. But from that moment on, every single thing we do on that block of land is done for one purpose. And the purpose uh, is to build a house. We want the end result to be that we build a house. And so we dig holes and uh, we clear the block and we pour concrete and we put a subfloor down and then we build the frames and put up the roof trusses and then the tin or tiles would go on, the bricklayer would lay bricks, the plaster would go up, we'd hang doors, we'd put in windows and, and we'd do everything with the aim of building this house. Now I can honestly say to you, in the 10 years I worked as a carpenter, never once did I think to myself it would be a good idea halfway through this project to get a stick of dynamite and just sort of throw it in there, see what happens. Yes, great. Now we're on track. Now we're making progress. We've blown the whole thing up. Never once did I think of doing that. Why? Because that would be incredibly stupid. And I don't know where to get hold of dynamite. So those two reasons, I never thought about throwing something in there. It would be foolish and it would be counterproductive. And so it's never something that crossed my mind until I was preparing the sermon. But you know what? The same thing is the same when it comes to church. The book of 1 Peter says that we are living stones and that we are being built into a spiritual house. But the great thing about scripture is that we're not just the stones that are being built, but we're also joining with God as builders as we build one another as this passage tells us to. But you know what? When we gossip, and I'm really glad we don't have a culture like this uh, here at the church, um, but we need to keep working at it if we don't want it to happen. Every time we gossip, every time we criticise, every time we refuse to forgive, every time we snap at someone, every time we hold on to grudges, every time we avoid certain people because we can't work stuff out, it's like getting a stick of dynamite. Kaboom. Makes no sense. It's not what we're called to do. It's not what we're called to be. We are called to build each other. One of the best ways to do that is found in this passage in verse 4. And it's to encourage one another by God's word. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. A couple of weeks ago, we launched our small group network, our MCGs, our missional community groups. And they're a great place to be with a group of other people where we gather around the word and we we dig into the word and we explore it together and we challenge one another and encourage one another and and perhaps even rebuke one another when we need to. And we, we wrestle with what this scripture means and how we apply it in our lives. And so it's a wonderful thing to be part of. Uh, when we come to um, gather together to encourage with each other with God's word is a really powerful thing to do. But there's many other ways that we can build one another as well. Um, Every time we gather with God's people, I want you to remember that you're a builder. 
Your name might not be Bob, but you're still a builder. So let's say that together today. Say, I'm a builder. Now with a bit of passion. I'm a builder. Okay, turn to the person next to you. Say, I'm a builder. Now say, you're a builder. Absolutely. We're all builders here today. You've got your qualification. You've finished your apprenticeship. And so you are ready to build. Every time we gather together in church, every time we gather together over coffee, every time we gather together in small groups, we are building one another. And so when we walk into the presence of other believers, our radar should be up immediately. Our eyes should be scanning the room thinking, who can I encourage today? Who can I build up? Who's struggling? Who's sitting by themselves? Who can I pat on the back? Who can I share God's word with? Who can I pray with? And the question is this, who is going to leave this place more built up today because of me? It's a very different mentality, isn't it, than walking in and going, what am I going to get out of this today? What's in this for me? Let me make you a promise. Let me make you a guarantee. that If you come in with the mindset, what can I do to build people? What can I do to build this place? You'll get so much more out of it than if you come in and say, what am I going to get out of this today? It's the way it works in God's kingdom. We are called to build one another. Thirdly and finally, we're called to accept one another. Verse 7 says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, how does Jesus accept us? Are we perfect? No. No. He accepts us unconditionally. He accepts us um, despite our failings, despite our mistakes, uh, despite the fact that we keep walking away from him. When we come back, he just keeps accepting us unconditionally. It's an absolutely wonderful thing. There's such security in that, knowing that, that in Christ, even though we fall short so often, we can be forgiven and accepted and loved on a permanent basis. It's a wonderful thing. This passage that we read today talks a lot about Jews and Gentiles, and Sanjeev helpfully um, highlighted the fact that Gentiles means non-Jews, or for that, for most of us, that's us. And it says this, it says, Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises he made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and also that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, might glorify God for his mercy. Now, if you're new to church or you don't know scripture very well, if you look back towards the start of the Bible in Genesis, you will see that God chose a particular people to work his promises in and through. And the people he chose were the Jews. And when he called them, Genesis 12, Abram, he called him and he said um, some amazing things. He said, I'm calling you and I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to make your name great. Uh, I'm going to uh, turn you into a great nation your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. You're going to be blessed big time. But then he says the reason you're going to be blessed is that through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. And so we fast forward to the New Testament and we read about Jesus, who was a Jewish man, a Jewish carpenter. But we also see in the New Testament that all nations are blessed through him. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, who was more than just a Jewish carpenter, he was the son of God, God in human form. The Bible teaches that when we put our faith in him and what he did for us on the cross, our sins are taken from us. Our sins are the things we do wrong that separate us from a holy God. And in Christ, when we accept that he died for us in the cross, our sins are taken and they're removed and they're placed on Jesus. And so now, instead of having this obstacle between us and God the Father, that obstacle is gone because the sin has been paid for by Christ on the cross. 
And so all we have to do is accept that and ask Jesus to be our Lord and Saviour. That's what makes the gospel so incredible. That's why it's grace. It's undeserved love. We didn't do anything to earn it, but we just have to put our faith in Jesus who died in our place. And so in Christ, all people can be part of his kingdom, whether they're Jews or non-Jews. The Bible teaches that we are grafted into Israel. Galatians 3 verse 26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. I love the fact that doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what nationality you are, you can come into a place like this and we are united by nothing else except Christ Jesus. And what that means is that I can look out here today and I can see so many nationalities represented. And I love that because it's a snapshot of what heaven will be like, where it says every tribe and every tongue and every nation will bow before God all together as one, not segregated, but all together in one. The start of the message, I said that we're not united by common interests or personalities or sporting teams. We're united by Christ and Christ alone. What that means is that in a community like this, there is a heap of people that I probably, and you probably, never would have had the opportunity to meet, never would have maybe even chose to hang out with. But you are now being united by Christ and Christ alone. And what I love about that is that fellowship brings great colour and vibrancy and cultures coming together and great diversity. And like I said a moment ago, it's a snapshot of heaven. And as a result, I think fellowship really grows us as people. Because if we were just joining a footy club or, you know, a hobbies group, we're joining with people that are just like us. But today we're surrounded by a bunch of people that are very different to one another. And it actually stretches us as people to not just bear with, but to love and to accept and to build and to care for people who are so different to us. And so it's so important that we as a fellowship of God's people placed here in the officer community, that we accept one another as Christ has accepted us. We live in a community where so many people are isolated. And so many of those people, they go from place to place and it's rejection, 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 rejection. How sad is it if they come to church and they experience the same loneliness, the same uh, disappointment, the same rejection. Once they get to church, what's the next step? This is the one community where, where people can come just as they are and be loved and embraced by a group of people who are centered around Christ Jesus, who's accepted us in an incredible way. So let me finish this message today by saying that I'm not naive enough to think this is going to be easy. You're going to get on my nerves. I'm going to get on your nerves. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a mess. I'm a mess. But Jesus meets us in the mess. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were actively rebelling against him, while we were walking away, while we were not seeking him, while we didn't care about him, he died in our place. You see, Jesus meets us in the mess. So awesome, isn't it? Before we cleaned ourselves up, before we got it all right, none of us have still, 
Before we showed any sign of repentance or love for him, he died for us. He meets us in the mess. And so where do we meet each other? In the mess. We're saved, we're redeemed, but we still make mistakes. We still let each other down. We meet each other in the mess. And this is why Jesus is so important to be centre because that's where we find grace and forgiveness and love and mercy and all of those things. When you let me down, I extend grace. When I let you down, you extend grace, love, forgiveness, all those things that have been given to us by Christ, we now distribute to one another and that's what makes fellowship life-changing. Fellowship won't always be perfect, won't always be clean, won't always be beautiful because we're none of those things all the time. Fellowship will be messy, but we meet each other in the mess, caring for each other, building each other, and accepting each other. Why is this so important? Our mission as a church is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. This passage really highlights that. Jesus himself said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know. By looking at us, everyone will know that we are his disciples. In this passage in verse 5, probably my favourite verse in the text, says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement to live out this fellowship together give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and that with one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13 finishes the passage by saying, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful for a fellowship like this. I look out and think, man, God, you're so good. You've brought so many great people together. But if it's going to continue to be a great fellowship, it's going to continue to grow, um, to become more what Christ wants it to be, we need to keep Christ at the centre And each day we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh, to live out what essentially is an impossible task by ourselves. We need to be empowered by his Spirit. When people look at us, see the way that we love each other, the way we care for each other, the way we build each other, the way we accept one another. Maybe just maybe they'll reconsider what Christianity is all about. Maybe just maybe they'll get a glimpse of who Jesus is. And we hope and pray that through that, They will come to know him and to glorify our Father in heaven. And so as a church, let's commit ourselves to this, to be these kinds of people, not looking for title, power or position, but looking to sacrifice and serve one another in love as Christ has served us. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord God, we acknowledge your word is always challenging. Lord God, it always seems like it's too far a stretch for us to live by your word and we know that by ourselves it's absolutely impossible but we know that with you all things are possible we know that you've given us your holy spirit who's not just with us but he's in us he empowers us to live these kinds of lives as we center ourselves on you and so lord i pray that you'd help us help us to keep our eyes on you help us to our vision to be you all the time Help us to, every time we come together, to be thinking about how we can care for one another, how we can build one another. Who today, after this service, needs a word of encouragement? Who can I build here today before I leave? And help this to be a place that's warm and friendly, a place where people can come to know you and be accepted in you in this fellowship. Lord, we know that we'll fall short at different times, and so we ask for your grace in those times and for your forgiveness. 
and that we would come back to you once again. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in the life of our church. And we just pray that you would be with us as we continue to move forward. And we pray for many people in this region that don't yet know you, that you would use us to bring the gospel to them and that you would do the growing in their heart and that they would be radically saved from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. But we're excited about this mission. And so we need your help with it. In Jesus' name. Well, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Most weeks I give opportunity to people that, that may be here today and maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And I talk today about the blessing of the gospel, of knowing Jesus, is that in Him our sins can be forgiven. In Him we can have hope for the future, not just here on earth, but for all eternity. But most of all, in Him we can come into relationship with God the Father, God who created us, the God in whom we find purpose and joy and lasting peace and hope for the future. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give opportunity here today for you to say, Luke, I'd love to start that journey. I'd love to get to know him. I don't know everything. None of us do. But I want to start that journey and know that I can be in relationship with God. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if there's anyone here today who says, Luke, I'd like to pray about that after the service with you. I'd I'd like to talk to one of the leaders and, and get started on this journey. I'm just going to ask you now, while no one's looking around, just to lift your hand and say, Luke, that's me. If you were to do this today, it would be the greatest moment in life. It would be truly life-changing. You'd be in relationship with God. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's awesome. I see that hand. That's great. Is there anyone else here today that says, yeah, I want to start that journey. I want to come back to the Lord today because I've wandered away. Okay, let's just pray for this one person who raised their hand today. And I'd love to pray with you after the service as well. Lord, I thank you for this person who you have touched his heart today to put up his hand and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know him with all my heart. I want to on a journey with you, God. I want to know that I'm forgiven. I want to know that I have hope that can never be stolen from me. Lord, I pray today that you come in, that you bring forgiveness, that you would bring hope and joy, and that, that this person would, would give their life to you wholly and completely knowing that you are their Lord and their Saviour. And I thank you that it's the start of a journey that is so exciting. Lord, I pray for forgiveness uh, for the things that have happened in the past. And as we put our faith and hope in you, Lord, I pray for great hope for the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.